For July 18th, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 733, Divine Secrets of the Qui-Gon Sisterhood. Hey, it's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are uh, talking over the things that we enjoy. We enjoy them more when we uh, enjoy them in the company of our of our friends. Um, and, uh, you know, we enjoy them more when we enjoy them in the company of our friends again. <laughs> So uh, our our topic this week is one that we've done a uh, a podcast about already. Um you know, it's it's about a, a a guy who's strange who lives in a in a you know a, a world of madness, a, a multiverse if you will of madness. Um but uh more more about that later. First, uh I'm I'm proud to say that I welcome my good friend Peter Fenzel. Hello Pete, how are you? Hello, Matt. As you confound and alienate our listeners yet again about the topic of the podcast, it is about a man who lives <laughs> in a multiverse. I mean, if you, I guess you have to buy multiverse theory, you know, to to say that. But like, you know, yes. uh, you know, uh, like all of us, yes. you know, I mean, is yeah, really, what what film is not about a man living in yeah. a multiverse of madness? <laughs> If you listen to Elon Musk, it's all happening inside of a simulation, right? So every movie is Lawnmower Man. Um, so. Yeah, well, the the yeah, exactly. But I I don't like to mention him uh, on the podcast because I feel like the Twitter bots or uh, if you will the <laughs> the the Muskin Raiders come after you. <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> and hey, that that voice is the voice of our our very own Mark Lee. Mark, how are you feeling, man? Oh, much better than I was last week, for sure. Because I'll tell you what, guys, I manifested my recovery from the disease known as COVID-19 for a very specific reason, which is to come back to the podcast and call you two out for not making the really obvious joke in your long-running um, bit on the last podcast about Anakin and Palpatine at the Jersey Shore, which is that he doesn't like sand. How did you miss that? We need to talk about sandwiches. It was so perfect. And Aquino, you don't like the sand. I failed well. Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm holding you back. Anyway, scared you back. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad glad you've you've, uh, manifested your recovery uh, from illness so that you can come back uh, around. Um, Everything everything old is new again. We we did after the first was what was it? The first two or three episodes that y'all did the podcast about uh, about Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Obi-Wan Obi-Wan Love and Thunder, I think is what it's called. (laughs) And we uh, we uh, are revisiting it now that that everyone has seen the entire Obi-Wan show. So so spoilers. Uh, for the Obi-Wan show, he doesn't die. He makes it to episode four. Um, I mean, you say that, and there was like a wild fan theory out there that like he would have been off and like a clone. He was replaced, replaced by a clone because cloning is a thing in Star Wars as also like dying and then still being around. Yeah, that's uh, well, the, absolutely. I mean, I guess it could be. I don't know. The, you got to you got to think like, what are the stakes when you know and when when you know that he's not going to go that the you know, we've, we've talked about this recently, a lot of the journey is in how you get there. You know, it's in how you how you arrive at the destination. So let's, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about this. So we, you know, we started uh, a little earlier, uh, a little earlier on and the um, or it started in the earlier episode, I mean to say, and the uh, a lot of the um conclusion there was like well we have to wait and see and you know see how some of these things turn out we raised ideas on the show but uh it was impossible to to draw conclusions well we waited we saw <laughs> uh what what do we what do we think you know i i i sometimes and let me frame this in terms of like i sometimes think prequels are very are very often questions of like how how x got to be x you know, how, um, how, uh, uh, I don't know, how, how, uh, Bilbo Baggins got to be 111. And that's why, uh, that's why, uh, Peter Jackson wrote a novel called The Hobbit or, uh, the, the, you know, just, just how, how, 
um, people, you know, how, how a character kind of developed the signature traits and how they developed the particular set of concerns. So in the, how X got to be X formula, do you think this is a, a decent thought technology for tackling, um, the Obi-Wan Kenobi show? Is it about Obi-Wan? Is it about Anakin? Uh, is it about, or, uh, is it about, um, Leia? Is it about Vader? Is it about, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, Uncle Owen, like what's, uh, how X got to be X. If, if you had to talk about kind of what this show is trying to do, uh, Mark, let me throw to you because you, you've been yep. gone for a little while. Do you think that this adequate is a thought technology adequate for addressing the show? Yes and no. <laughs> a qualified yes, mm. as we as we typically respond to such questions. Okay, so I probably where you left it at the last um, uh, podcast that we did on this was that sure, yeah, this is um, gesturing at a lot, answering a lot of interesting questions and filling uh, quite a few gaps uh, in the time between episodes three and four about what happened to Obi Wan and like what happened to his character and how did he get to be like the Zen wizard um, that we see in the original trilogy who has. Um, you know, the, 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 the virtue of the prequels, like it has gone through a lot of stuff and has, you know, trained Luke and told him a lie and sent him off to, to fight to kill Darth Vader and all the stuff like, you know, how did all that come to be? And the show does its best to try to enrich in all of that area. And we'll talk about how it, it didn't didn't succeed. Um, but that only answers kind of part of what the show w- was about. Um, really what this show was is just like, you know, Disney's answer to having this thing, this Star Wars thing and access to this particular actor and answering their own question of like, what can we do with this? Not because that was particularly needed or because like, you know, maybe like not even like this was the, the best way to move the franchise forward uh, in the most enriching or kind of groundbreaking way but this is just like a a, a a collection of happenstance and opportunity uh that will the show into existence uh, so, the will the force so you're saying it's kind of like the sony spider-man movies they had to make one every n years in order to retain the ip and it's like a, a you little know. bit less like that's like a, a legal obligatory sort of thing right, right? So like it's like existentials for survival <laughs> of the of the of that version of the franchise and, and the same uh, animating force isn't quite there pun intended um with this obi-wan show but it really was like you know obi-wan not obi-wan ewan mcgregor was game for it he was the right age to play this sort of thing um and you know and also with with the the crazy uh behind the scenes drama going on with star wars and and like the fundamental lack of direction and like you know real um roadmap for where they're taking star wars right now um this is like the best that they could do Going back like, to this you know, Skywalker how, how not do this? He's yeah. going to, you know, he's going to age kind of in real time just uh, so that, you know, by the time they get around to remaking episode four, you know, he's going to be the right age <laughs> to oh play gosh. to play the Alec Guinness role. Pete, what what do you think? How X became X? Is that a, uh, a good way of thinking about it or uh, is it too limiting a paradigm to put onto the show? It's part of it. I think that. It's always easy to reduce it. So it's always easy to look at the things. I should say it's always easy. Uh, I would say that the material facts that explain the existence of a piece of art, uh, as well as the historical context in which the piece of art exists, are tempting as exclusive interpretive uh, tool sets for – thinking and talking about that piece of art because then it means you don't have to read it. Right. So like, so like if you sit down and talk about the Scarlet letter and you'd be like, well, why does the Scarlet letter exist? And it'd be like, well, because you know, in new England, there's this Puritan tradition that's colliding with the rise of progressive ideas and the, and transcendentalism, which is trying to, you know, redefine notions of divinity. And so you have this conflict between, you know, the sort of old school Calvinist way of looking at human relationships and this new school kind of oversoul, you know, on the way towards Unitarianism way of looking at human relationships. And the book, you know, is, it represents the conflict. Like, yes, it is the case that the Obi-Wan Kenobi TV show exists because as, as a commercial vehicle because of what the rise of subscription entertainment as a reaction to uh, piracy, 
right? So the idea being that one-offs are not profitable because you cannot make money on the margin, you because the margin can be compressed by pirates. And so almost all video entertainment has become branded in, either in the sense of it being serialized, right? And it's you know, like you have a subscription to and the MCU, like you see, you don't see just one of them, you see all of them, right? Uh, you buy things through streaming services, etc. And the Star Wars IP is one of these islands of, you know, uh, commercial viability in a sea of commodified uh, video media, right? And and so and also now we are in a situation where we have this actor and we have this meme culture that rose very meteorically a bunch of years ago, and people are very excited about you know Obi Wan Kenobi being played by Ewan McGregor in a piece that's maybe good. So this show exists, great. Now we have to actually watch it, right? <laughs> and, and so when you actually watch it, then there are other things, right, that rise to make claims towards the purpose of the show, I would say, that operate on a somewhat different level than all of these occasions. Uh, I mean, you could – we could go more deeply into the oeuvre of Deborah Chow, right? This is – Deborah Chow is the director of all the episodes, right? She uh, was the director of like a couple of episodes of The Mandalorian, uh, but she's also – a screenwriter and she had she's you know adapted gothic novels for the screen and she has her own sort of uh artistic mission and I, there's probably a way of looking at the obi-wan kenobi tv show as something that is part of the work of deborah chow uh, more than it is necessarily a an extended piece of work that's you know influenced by and, and influences you know the oeuvre of george lucas uh i would say that one of the surprising things about the Obi-Wan Kenobi show is how disinterested it is in, in the work of George Lucas mm. uh, and and oh, how – That's a the, hot I want to hear more about that. Yeah, yeah, and how like the struggles that Obi-Wan Kenobi is having as a character are not the sorts of struggles that characters tend to have in Star Wars stories. No. Uh, and in the, namely like the – particularly I would say that the delusion of self-importance set against – the dysfunction of deprivation, right? Like sort of the, um, the, 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 what the hypocrisy of ascetic altruism <laughs> and not hypocrisy. What's the right word I'm looking for? The, the quandary of ascetic altruism, right? The notion of like, I need to be good to other people. Therefore I'm going to deprive myself. Uh, however, as I continue to deprive myself, uh, I will break down physically and mentally until I'm no use to anybody, in which case I'm mostly just a problem. And my own sense of my highfalutin self-importance uh, is really more of an obstacle to other people than an assistance to them, right? Which is sort of the initial situation that Obi-Wan Kenobi finds himself in, which is that he's this, but if you're George Lucas, these guys are just wizards, right? Like it's, uh, you know, you live in the desert, you're super wise, your your purpose is not to be a an organism that has wants and needs in yourself, right? Your purpose is to part of telling this story uh, that has a cultural, mythical, symbolic relationship with, uh, you know, larger, I like not larger ideas, but sort of more uh, kind of nuts and bolts um, institutional ways of people interacting with each other. It's not like I would say it's not. It's more than psychodrama. It's it goes beyond psychodrama because. It Obi-Wan Kenobi's problems aren't necessarily reducible to individual bad things that happen to him. Um, and so I guess it goes beyond psycho melodrama to more of a kind of psychodrama. It's definitely psychological. Uh, but yeah, but I would say that the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, the reason that it exists is because or what it is trying to do, I should say what the Obi-Wan Kenobi show is trying to do. Uh, and and what we said in the first place, in the first episode, the first podcast on this, it seemed like it was trying to do. Uh, it turned out to be, I think, more interesting than what it turned out to be trying to do, which was to reinvest in relationships that had been mapped out on the old bulletin board of the star at the Star Wars home office, uh, human qualities of interest mm. to the storytellers who are making this show. You know, like what is missing from the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin that we could add to by telling the kind of story that we want to tell. And this is, I think, as I mentioned in our kind of one of our past podcasts, if not all of our past podcasts, my my pet theory about the, the popularity of the prequels as memes is that they are stories in which every sentence is treated with equal importance 
by the people that is that are saying them mm-hmm. <laughs> because nobody knows what any of them mean and nobody has any context for anything that's happening because everything's just in front of a green screen while you're walking slowly like on a treadmill or something and so it's all like the trade federation is here i love you very much I'm your trainer. You have to do what I say. Oh, look, there's a boat that we could take to the center of the earth, right? These these are all statements with like an equal degree of truth, an equal degree of uh, of, of emotional weight. I, and as I such, have the yeah. hi, I have the high ground. Yes, I have the high ground. Right, is the same as Misa. Gotta go to the place, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> the same truth value. And as such, the relationship between Obi Wan and Anakin is a farce. Uh, it is it is a farce. It is a non-relationship in the prequel movies. Uh, we are not talking about the Clone Wars cartoons. We are not talking about the Dave Filoni. See, like, OK, so I would say that that if you were to, to talk, d- dig into and I'll and I'll pause after this because I've said it a lot. If you were to look at the ex- the work that is currently happening in Star Wars, I think you have to. Uh, and I have to. I would recommend looking at the relationship between Dave Filoni and George Lucas, not their personal relationship, but how Dave Filoni feels and interprets George Lucas's work through his contribution to Star Wars. And then also now people like Deborah Chow. How is she contributing to, you know, I guess I could say George Lucas. What's her relationship with George Lucas's work? And then versus somebody like John Favreau or um uh, Robert Rodriguez, right? So I would say that like John Favreau and Robert Rodriguez have cinematic relationships with Star Wars, where they see them as action adventure stories that are in the Western model, and they're interested in those kinds of action adventure stories in the Western model, and so they're interested in Star Wars, and they are mostly interested in what makes Star Wars exciting, right? Dave Filoni is like neck deep in the lore of Star Wars, and arguably has done more for it than George Lucas did over the course of the last like forty years, right? And and is like very involved in his own. Ex- extended, you know, uh, you know, Ahsoka Tano, all of the things that happen around her. Uh, I would I would place stuff like Jedi Fallen Order in kind of his wheelhouse, right? I am going yeah. to build out an extended universe from Star Wars that makes sense and that ha- that is like built on canon and is similar sort of ideas of canonicity, but has an extended and different sort of cast of characters that's broader and has more flexibility, but it- and also has more like age range and kind of more different kinds of people, uh, but also is is more inclusive and has all these characteristics, right? But then you have someone like Deborah Chow, I see more as an auteur who's coming in here and saying like this is an occasion for me to tell the kind of stories that I want to tell. And I'm a character-driven, dramatic director, right? Like, I want to see what makes these characters tick, what they're anxious about, what they're afraid of, right? Like, what keeps them up at night, all right? What's their relationship with their best friends, right? Like, what's what's going on in, what's going on up there? Which is very different than, like, the Mandalorian walks onto a bridge, right? And he's got a six-shooter in one hand, and there's, like, a space cowboy up there who's who's got a big rifle, right? And it's like, who's going to draw first, right? And it's also very different from, like, oh, my God, you know, Luke has taken Grogu to the planet, and Ahsoka is there, but they're not friends, because Ahsoka doesn't get along with Luke, right? And so, like, these are all very different ideas of, like, what Star Wars could be. And I think that we're in a very, very different place now than we are in the um, in the sequel trilogy, days where you were trying to imitate the MCU, but you're doing it unsuccessfully because Star Wars doesn't really have all that many interesting characters, right? Like it doesn't have, let me rephrase. It doesn't have this sort of like all these sort of different points of focus that lend themselves really easily to like spreading the field for a whole bunch of different kinds of individual one shots, right? It's like, but anyway, I will pause now. That's where I think the Obi-Wan Kenobi show is, is that it's an auteur show that is happening within various, the context of various other attempts to, build out a vision for what Star Wars could be now that the sequel series is over. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so it, there you go. And it, well, and it's, it's uh, a little less of the, a little less of the walk and talks and the, the shot counter shot and the, the, you know, um, immaculately pristine shiny spaceships and a, a, a little more of the, what vicissitudes of the human heart, I guess is, is what it could, is what the thesis is in terms of what it could be. I mean, I think this is a show about people having nervous breakdowns. Mm. Like, I think I think when I think about all of the symbolism in it, 
I think about Obi-Wan Kenobi using the force to hold back the shattering spidering glass as billions of gallons of water are going to like drown him and his surrogate daughter and this like random woman. Right. And and I think about him like waking up in a cold sweat and I think of him like sashimi mining and I think of him like almost chopping his best friend's head off and like considering that a win. Right. Like I feel like everybody in this movie is like ratcheted up and totally freaking tense. Right. Everyone in this, sh- in this series. Right. And is super stressed out, <laughs> super duper stressed out and just on the freaking edge. And I think I guess the point of it is that Obi- we know that Obi-Wan Kenobi arrives at this place of peaceful you know, self-possession. He becomes the wise old man in the desert. But the things that have happened to him up to this point realistically would leave him as a freaking mess. And so how does he get from being a freaking mess to being the wise old man in the desert? Sure. And this takes us about halfway there as, uh, is what I would say. I suppose. Yeah. I guess the, the yeah. rest is left for season two, which is just, <laughs> just mm. him and Qui-Gon talking. Oh yeah. I mean, it's yeah, like, yeah. it's like my dinner with Andre, but it's exactly. my, di- it's my dinner. It's my, it's my, you know, stolen yeah. sashimi dinner with Qui-Gon. Tuesdays with Neeson. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it is. I, I mean, it is definitely <laughs> eternal secrets of the Qui Gon Sisterhood, or what is it? The what is that? Never mind. Divine secrets of the Qui Gon Sisterhood. I think um, that that there is. Um, yeah, I, I think actually maybe a overthinking it trope. Something that we should start identifying is literal glass cages of emotion, uh, <laughs> literal figurative glass cages of of. Uh, emotion um that way you know he, that uh, he's in you mcgregor is definitely in one uh and it's under the sea under the sea under the sea under the sea um i i do like i mean having nervous breakdowns and all the things that that you're going through i think there's a good reason that that a lot of a lot of good action movies are sort of one-offs i mean i guess everything is a franchise now um I guess even in the the glory days of the eighties, a lot of stuff became uh, a lot of stuff became franchises. But like, there is something that is you know psychologically unsatisfying. Eh, psychologically is maybe even putting too much of a of a gloss already, a, too much of a prejudgment. There's something that doesn't ring true on a human level of people just you know lurching from major trauma to major trauma completely. Uh, <laughs> You know, completely unhinged from any yeah. sort of consequence or something. I mean, this, this is not Mel Gibson in the Lethal Weapon movies. You know, this is like, uh, these are supposed to be something along the lines of real, real people. And this is yeah, why like Mel Gibson in real life. <laughs> oh dear. And so he's, um, like, you know, I, I often trot, trot out, um, a boy Slavoj, uh, Slavoj Zizek, who's, who, you know, made the observation that, uh, when other cultures dream, they dream of being America or they dream of being the West more generally. And when the West dreams in its cinema, it dreams of, of, you know, disaster, of you know, world ending meteors or, you know, a sad goodbye at a portal. It dreams of a, a, um, destruction. So total, um, so severe, uh, so thoroughgoing that it would, you know, result in the loss of, uh, the loss of its privilege. And that, like, I, I think that the MCU has become a real drag on this, uh, on this score. And it's all about, like, you know, I don't know. It's all about the how. The MCU or are you talking about Star Wars? No, well, the you? MC, the, I know, I mean, the MCU. You know, we talked about, uh, we talked about, um, Doctor Strange recently. And yeah, I mean, I, I mean, to contrast, too, you know, storied and kind of sprawling, uh, you know, filmed IP, uh, universes, right? We talked about Doctor Strange and like my observation about Doctor Strange was that like they don't do anything. Everything happens to them. Um, they don't really exercise agency and it's really all just very reactive. It's all, you know, uh, reactive to trauma in the case of Elizabeth Olsen's character or reactive to nothing going right in, uh, in the case of Benedict Cumberbatch's character. Um, and that, that like this would have a, a similar problem if you didn't have, uh, if you didn't have a lot of like, uh, I'm in the desert. I'm not going to Obi-Wan. I'm not going to Jedi for you. Um, that it's, it's, uh, Right. Like uh, the, the, the bosses beat up the people, you know, thieves get rich and saints get shot and God don't answer prayers a lot. May the force be with you that like the, um, 
that, but it's unsentimentic. I don't know. It's not, it, it's difficult to make that, to make that visually uh, yeah. compelling. Let me, let me uh, use that as a hop, uh, a hop off place to talk about some, some of the weaknesses of this. Um, right. And this kind of gets at the, the, the real tension between star Wars movies at their best. And the star Wars TV series is even at their best as well. Right. Now the, especially the original trilogy, I think we talked about this to death, right. Are these like, overshadowing overpowering pop culture icons right with these just like archetypical stories and huge characters and you know tales of good and evil and plot lines that resolve by and large within the two hours time span but then also stitch together within the the the, the, the trilogy and i think we could say that yeah that for all the mainline episodes one through nine like that is absolutely the case when that transitions over to television, something very different is going on, right? You know, these stories are drawn out. And as Pete has talked about, like, you know, like, you know, one of the one of our modalities for television is to um, use use it as an opportunity for psychodrama. It could really explore the interiority of characters. And this is like this really there's this very strong tension between that type of exercise and then the epic storytelling that we saw in the movies. And this where this where this. <clears throat> television show could have succeeded was if they really nailed that uh, that you know that psychodrama which sometimes they did but by and large they didn't and then the uh, compound that with the other problem is that they still tried to do epic storytelling with all the action and pew pew and repeated uh high stakes escapes uh, by the by 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 a hair from the empire right and practically every episode had it and they kept doing it over and over again and it undermine the sense of stakes and the sense that like you know we are with these characters and we are they're they're given the the space to deal with their trauma because no they just keep getting thrown into an additional traumatic situation over and over again and escape through highly improbable means and like in a in the context of a movie like we just get like a couple of those and we take that and run with it in the context of a six uh episode limited television series we get that six times, and uh, it, 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 at least it bothered me, um, and it just kind of it, it took away from uh, the, the, the power of, of, of the story elements that were going well. So, I, 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 and I know that like nitpicking Star Wars plot is like a is not really the thing to do. It's not the right way to approach Star Wars, but it was inescapable for me. And it had an, like, an, over, again, an overall detrimental effect on, on what the show was trying to do. So that, that was at least my one complaint that I want to put out there. And uh, Matt or Pete, like, um, did you react to that in a similar way? I hear what you're saying. I hadn't thought of it that way. I think it makes a lot of sense on reflection. I think that the dimension, the, the, the moments in the show where it became a caper were weird and off-putting. <laughs> And I guess that's probably the same thing you're talking about, right? Which is like by caper, um, what, what do you mean exactly? Oh, a caper, like uh, oh man, there. Well, the the biggest, the most obvious caper scene is like Princess Leia leading Flea for the Red Hot Chili Peppers through a chase in the woods, and it's like da 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 da, like not da da da, not like that. That's the wrong music, but it's sort of like da 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 When I think of a caper, I'm thinking of. The purpose, the 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 mode of entertainment is the thrill of an uh, the thrill of an unlikely escape or an unlikely. I guess okay. I would define a caper as the thrill, uh, usually an acrobatic thrill involving the confident escape from overwhelming odds in some manner. Right? Like it's mm-hmm. like you're trying to do something. You know, there's a very low chance of it happening, but you do it anyway, and there's a release. A release from care that's associated with the uh, the 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 vicarious thrill that you enjoy. I mean, I think of the great Muppet caper where it's like we're stealing the baseball diamond, right? Like we have to get into the museum. You know, the Ocean's Eleven is a caper where the the overwhelming, you know, corruption and power of the Las Vegas casino ceases to be a deadening concern. And you are instead like lifted up and, and given air by the. Uh, carefree disregard for consequence that the elaborate and acrobatic escapades of George Clooney and company endeavor upon. And this, yeah. and uh, I would just add to that, like the, the best example of that in star Wars is probably from Empire Strikes Back when the Millennium Falcon is going through the asteroid field. 
to escape the Empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Han Solo is what brings this to the table with Chewbacca in the Star Wars original series because he has a he has that devil may care attitude in this in the uh, context of his sort of sardonic and defeatist dialogue, right? Like, uh, and so he's this bridge between the pulpy, you know, sky captain in the world of tomorrow is also kind of like engaging with this stuff, the pulpy thirties adventure fiction. And then the sort of like bleak, you know, uh, epic, uh, you know, epic sci-fi fantasy operatic stuff where like, you know, oh no, everybody's dying and the planet's blowing up. And this one guy's got a leather jacket and is saying like, punch it, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, never tell me the odds, you know, like that kind of stuff. And, yeah, and or we're in a, or we're in a, a garbage compactor with a, with a, like an underwater snake monster or something. Yeah. 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 Like things could not possibly be worse and yet it, there's a there's a balance between that being an oppressive cause of fear and also a uh, uh, adding a sense of stakes to the moment, but then also being freed from that by the uh, death defying escapades of your heroes. And this is a show. Obi-Wan Kenobi is a show where like like there is no Han Solo, really. There's a little girl and also everyone's like hyper anxious or depressed like all the time <laughs> and so like 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 the idea that it's going to be like whoa we got to get through the door that's closing and it's like i'm still depressed on this side of the door <laughs> like yeah. it's uh, <laughs> it, it fails in that dimension and it also fails in some more basic dimensions like uh i think it's the last episode where um they're they're chasing after um the escape ship <clears throat> with all the refugees and then obi-wan um you know takes off in his little shuttle to as bait to take vader Right. And like at a we see Vader's like go after Obi Wan and ignore <laughs> the other one. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's a freaking Star Destroyer with like a hundred TIE fighters <laughs> yes, on it. Yes. They can easily just go pew poo. Yeah. Both they're of like, the ships. They're like so unconcerned with creating any sort of respite from the overbearing depressiveness of like Obi Wan's psychological journey that they just stop creating reasons why people don't die. Like it's like I think there's there's the scenes where like Obi Wan Kenobi is being dragged through fire and like horribly burned and like probably burned to death and then he gets like sort of rescued by a robot but mostly just walks away right like like <laughs> I don't, like it's just like i'm gonna torture you and i'm darth vader and i'm killing children in the street and then he's like oh this really stinks uh, i have to escape now bye <laughs> and he just walks away and it's like yo but you got this cool robot all right all right you got me you have me a cool robot I'm going to keep watching like what's going to happen to this robot. That's so cool. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so we have all these hijinks, these, yeah. these bad escape um, kind of anti caper. Yes. The anti -caper. That, that, that all yeah. lead up to the, what's not supposed all superheroes to be. wear capes. Not all Jedis right. have capers. Exactly. <laughs> and it's all supposed to lead up to this climactic character moment, this rematch between Anakin and Vader. Right. Yes. So, yes. Uh, and, and the throwdown. The, uh, and, the force and, off. And I, I think like all the shows, weaknesses and strengths all come together, right? So we've got all the aforementioned build up with like the the the, the, the unsatisfying action and, and and near misses and escapes and all this kind of stuff. Um, you also have a, a I'd say a pretty satisfying lightsaber duel. Oh yeah. Uh, and and then you have like the psychodrama, which all comes to play there, which I think by and large succeeded except for the end which is the important part where um <laughs> after right you know um uh, obi-wan has his realization that oh my friend anakin actually is dead like it's really just only darth vader inside of there right because well because vader said so himself anakin's like okay i guess i'm gonna leave you for dead again um even though like shortly earlier in the episode i said that like i'm going to end this and i'm going to you know kill this monster and also i'm going to help um reva the inquisitor kill darth vader and do the thing that i i was i should have done before so yeah. like we have this like kind of like jumbled mess there at, at the very end um which fails to bring that to a satisfying conclusion yeah i mean there's just there's so many places where a good star wars caper or just a good caper in general is like totally called for and yet doesn't happen such as in particular when reva who has been planning to assassinate Darth Vader for years, for like most of her life. She's wanted to kill Anakin Skywalker. She finally gets her opening and she just like 
walks out into the middle of an empty room, right? Like, like, like it's, 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 she, she makes no effort to come at him when he's distracted. She makes no effort to like wait until he and Obi-Wan are actually fighting each other. Right. He, he's like wrestling with the force with the spaceship and he waits for him to be done. Right. So like, there's right, no, right. like if you wanted this, if you wanted the plot elements, if you wanted the things that happened in the story, to like not be as ridiculous, <laughs> I guess. I guess is sort of the thing because it goes from being really, really grim to being like ridiculous. But there's not really a satisfying, pathetic drop because we don't like have the beat to establish how ridiculous what's happening is. Is but it's like if you wanted these plot elements to feel like they land, I think you either you need to make a choice about whether you're going to either ratchet up the caper factor or you're going to find some sort of more plausible way for them to take place. Right. Because it is bonkers. This idea that it's like, hey, you know, it's a great idea. I'm just going to bum rush Darth Vader from behind when he's alone in a giant empty room. (laughs) This is this is totally a great plan. And it's totally worth waiting like 10 years or whatever it is to try to pull it off. Like he's never been in an empty room before. He's always been surrounded by corridors and walls. <laughs> now and, I, 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 and you could go back and look at the, the previous uh, all the scenes that the two of them share leading up to that. And I'm sure there are plenty where they're, they're just like standing yeah, around having a conversation around. where Reva could have just very discreetly, you know, put the switch on the air. If I want to catch this out right you now, are. I can. I can just try to stab him and die. And like I can do this at any point. Why am I doing it now? Yeah, <laughs> like, just, sure. It's, yeah. And they have light. But, okay, okay. They have so lightsabers, like, right? They have, yeah. they have lightsabers. So all you got to do is she can do it with a freaking kitchen knife. The yeah. way that she does it. <laughs> sure. Sorry. Go ahead. That's, I, so you know, so let's, just... let's talk. Let's talk about Riva, right? Like, yes. Uh, we were into her. I think after the first two. Uh, episodes we we had we correctly guessed that she was one of the younglings in the temple not the younglings um, no. not the onion rings um <laughs> we we thought that she was trying to get revenge on obi-wan because um she blamed him somehow for the carnage that right. happened and all, all of her friends dying. and that would have been the much more straightforward way to approach it um but the show i think to its credit did something a little bit more brave um, <clears throat> unpredictable, which was, you know, have Reva um, harbor this uh, grudge against Anakin or Vader, particularly for while well, doing exactly the thing that he did. He's slaughter, yeah. slaughtering, slaughtering the onion rings. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, the, the resolution for that, though, is so unsatisfying on a couple of things, reasons. One, because of the really, you know, poorly executed assassination attempt. And then what happens after that, right, which is that um, way, the events I gather as uh, I, I put them together from watching the show and then also a, a YouTube recap, which I needed because this reveal was not particularly well done. What Reva discovers through Obi-Wan's uh, uh, voicemail from, uh, from um, why am I blanking on uh, or Bail Organa, J- Jimmy Smith, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy his name is Jimmy Smith. Uh, He's a detective in the NYPD. Blue. <laughs> <laughs> what Reva gathers is that there is a youngling on, um, on Tatooine. And I don't think yeah. she puts together one on one that um, that youngling is Anakin's son or Darth Vader's son, um, but she knows that uh, this is a youngling, and I can go kill him. Because yeah. But no one knew it was secret. I mean, it was the se- it was secret, right? The birth of of Luke and Leia. You know, no one knows. Jimmy yeah, Smith so knows. The, the NYPD. The NYPD knows. Yes, Dennis Franz and his naked butt know. Nobody <laughs> else. Um, <laughs> <Callback>. What? <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, what basically what is winds up happening is that she goes um, hunts down Luke is about to kill him and then just like you know through emotion regret um, feelings the power of love etc decides that no maybe I'm not going to kill this boy after all um, I'm <laughs> maybe, gonna let maybe what I've been doing this whole time is really stupid <laughs> yeah yeah so like that 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 kind of goes nowhere um, <clears throat> uh, Obi Wan lets her live. Right, oh, yeah. which is a very rare thing we see in Star Wars. Like we you know, characters that fall to the dark side typically only get redeemed right before they die. See mm-hmm. Anakin Skywalker and also Kylo Ren. Yeah. Um, and and in, instead, you know, she she is left to do something, reconsider her life. Like kind of yes. like the kind of like the guy who tried to sell Obi Wan death sticks. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they they too both these two characters got got a second chance. 
Look, everybody wants to murder a little kid until they actually get hurt. And then they're like, oh, no, that was terrible. It was a bad <laughs> idea. Yeah, it was a bad idea. I really shouldn't have let this child suffer a severe head trauma by falling <laughs> off a cliff while he was in my care. This is just really stupid and bad. And maybe I should just reconsider everything that I've been doing. But yes, because Reva was very, 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 very obviously not a bad guy. Like that is that is the, the there is like she doesn't have a weird freaking face, right? Like she is very obviously a Halloween costume that little children are going to want to wear. She is an admirable person who has understandable motives and is an antihero, right? It's kind of on the wrong side of the law, but in a world in which there is no right side of the law, right? So like it was all it felt like it was always going to be the case that Reva was going to have some sort of face turn. Um, like she was going to have some sort of redeeming moment where you were going to find out that she had a reason for why she was doing what she was doing. And then she would go move on and she would go be in the Ahsoka Tano show or the Andoria show or whatever else. Right. She's going to go be in something else um, because her, her outfit is a perfect Halloween costume. It's absolutely perfect. And she's totally sympathetic. And the actress does a great job of viewing her with humanity, which is like. You have Han in this show, and he's like a kabuki monster. Right? Just like, to be clear, like, not Han Solo, but Han from No, 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 Fast the real Han, the Han from Fast and <laughs> Furious. Uh, you know, the one, the one whose car always works. Um, is, is, uh, and and he's in this, and he's a wonderfully charismatic actor who's great at being sympathetic and human. And he plays like you know a, a wind up Blade Runner doll in this movie or this TV show. So it's a choice, right? That Riva is. So human, uh, despite being so dark side, which usually the dark side turns you into some sort of weirdo bad guy, because then we can feel good about you being chopped in half. Um, See whereas, Palpatine's yeah. wrinkles on his forehead, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Palpatine getting all weird looking or Darth Maul being like a kind of spiky toad wart. Right. Or like Darth Nihilus being like, dude, you know, pick it, pick a name. Count, Count Dooku having a limp lightsaber. <laughs> you don't feel good about Count Dooku getting cut in half. Dooku, Dooku is, uh, Duke, you get the sense that Dooku is really just in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong stuff for the wrong reasons. Uh, I mean, you know, whatever. He was Dooku. supposed to retire and then his pension. <laughs> Dooku was a weirdo. And then he had to just, you know, take some jobs. But Dooku was a weird dude. You can't, I mean, <laughs> Figuring out what, who you're going to humanize like that, you know, with Riva, like the whole the whole point, like Yoda said it, right? Like fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to yep. suffering, and so yep. like this is all this is all you know bad bad. Th- this is all hurt people, hurt people, you know. Mm-hmm. And they they like I don't know I don't know you know at what point you uh, um, are redeemable and at what point you deserve to be, you know, picked up by, by Darth Vader. Oh, by the way, I thought Darth was a title. I thought so too. Right. Is it his name now? And he says, and, Mm -hmm. and, and you McGregor addresses him as Darth. It's like, you know, uh, 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 let's do this. Obi-Wan. All right, let's do this. Darth, I think he's making fun of him. Yeah, right? that, me, yeah I, it, I thought it was meant to be diminutive, but it also is supposed to be one of those awkward continuity pieces because uh, in Episode Four, in their duel, Obi Wan says to Darth Vader, "Only a master of evil, Darth." Yeah, so he's, that, he's just a weird one. guy because in the first Star Wars movie, Darth Vader's just a weird guy, and he's not like you know king muckety muck of the of, of like the dark empire right like he's like he's a, he's well, a 911 he's, truther he's, he's prince death star <laughs> oh god Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> your your steel beams are insignificant next to the power of the force um which is just it gets less funny with every passing year that why but <laughs> why did 1000 members of the trade federation go home <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's, that's not, that's a good, that is a good analogy. I mean, it's something that we talk about a lot on, on overthinking it where like, uh, episode four or, you know, as we used to call it, Star Wars is about, um, you know, is, is about a, uh, an incredible space military that, that has like a space wizard, you know, that has like yes. a space wizard, uh, yes. and not, not about like an epic saga of space wizards, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, uh, well, any, yeah. anyway, can, can I take this in a slightly different direction with a, with a segue question right here? Sure. Here, here's a segue question. 
Here's it's a trick question. I'm telling you ahead of time. It's a trick question. Why did the Empire need to build the Death Star? Cross the road. Why did the oh. Empire need to build the Death Star? Uh, to get to the other side. Sort of. Oh. Why did the Empire need to build the Death Star? I mean, they kind of didn't. Exactly. They did not. <laughs> it's entirely unnecessary, right? Like the Empire is a giant government. Right. That has access to like all the resources of the previous government. It has absorbed the Galactic Senate and all that. It has every operations of this giganto military, social, economic, everything. It's incredibly powerful. It appears to have a whole lot of people who seem to have no problem working for it all over the place. Right. Right. Like the Empire does not need the Death Star. In fact, the Empire seems to be like pretty strong. Right. And like um, (laughs) and I think. That there's a dynamic in Star Wars that is in a lot of stories that are imitating Star Wars and elsewise that is also then retro imitated in this story that I think part of the problem, part of what we struggle with when we're struggling with Obi-Wan Kenobi is something that has to do with this fact, I think, which is that like is the idea of the resistance. Who is the resistance? The resistance, the revolution, who are they? Right. So. When we think of the resistance, I think what we're really mentally basing on a lot of time in our stories is the the well, I guess I could ask you rather than saying it. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll finish my thought because I, that's rude for me to say half of it is like the local people that were you know occupied by like the Nazis. Right. Like the German Empire comes to town. Right. Or like whatever empire it is comes to town and there's a group of locals who after their main government like has to succumb to this big invading force who representing the interests of like the vast majority of the local people carries out a campaign against a sort of asymmetrical campaign against the occupiers. Right. This is like Napoleon's Spanish campaign. Right. This is like, you know, it's, it's over and over again, all these asymmetrical wars between like local people who resist the occupation of this like larger force. And uh, I mean, and I was thinking about Gandhi in particular when thinking about this, uh, because the things that you do when you are like the local people are different than when you are the occupying force or than when you're somebody else. And like one thing that that Gandhi said that sticks with me is uh, that that nonviolence is something that is, is, is a tactic of strong people. Right. Like a strong it's a it's something that you do if you're strong, like being able to like march without weapons all the way like across your country uh, in defiance of like an occupying force reflects a strength, a political strength, a cultural strength, like a the strength of the people like in your position. If you are not strong, you cannot do it. You know, and so when you think of even stuff like civil rights marches in U.S. history, they represent a large number of people. It is not like a niche group. Right. Like Obi-Wan Kenobi is like a group of like from a group of like seven guys, right? Like Obi-Wan Kenobi worked at like windows on the world on top of the Coruscant World Trade Center and sat in a bunch of papazons with like a bunch of popes. And he's like one of like seven dudes who uh, really screwed up right in, in this whole sort of governance structure. And he is now fighting the empire, right? Like the big overarching – and when they say the empire, it's really – it's called the empire because of the imperium of its leader, not necessarily because the emperor has a sort of like colony metropole relationship with the different parts of the galaxy. It's not like the emperor running things from Coruscant is like exploiting all of the other worlds necessarily, although Star Wars does get into that if you get into kind of Filoni kind of stuff. Uh, or even more of the uh, the Mandalorian kind of stuff. Like you see some of that kind of thing going on, but like the old Republic had very devolved governance. But it's almost not. The, yeah. yeah, it's almost not like the Empire exploiting people. It's more like a local power of some kind, yeah. generally yeah. exploiting people. And the fact that the Empire, you know, you you get the fact you get the sense that if the Empire actually uh, got in there, like um that that the level of corruption would go way down uh because it's it's bad for you know economic development right yeah, like, because like the, the empire in star wars is not a foreign occupier it's like the summation of all of the local now it's very racist and it's mm, evil mm. but it's like very local in a lot of places um and and like at least the way it's portrayed right it's and it's like the idea and like our resistance that we meet here this sort of underground railroad is like is like a hundred folks and there's no real there's nothing in the story that suggests that there's like a large swell of people all over the galaxy who are at all relatable 
to this struggle, right? This notion of like the empire is hunting down. I'm not saying it's okay, but it's like the emperor is the empire is hunting down force sensitive people. Most of the people in the galaxy appear to not know that these kind of people exist. The Jedi were a very rarefied kind of priestly distant sort of organization. Most people never came in contact with them. Like most people didn't know what they were doing. They didn't have much interest in most people. And so now the Jedi have been hunted down. People seem largely indifferent to this, right? Like, and yeah, the as symbolized the Jedi, by the trucker who picks yeah, them up, yeah, yeah, who happens to have a the Star Wars equivalent of a MAGA bumper sticker. On his yes, truck. exactly. Then this guy who drives a truck was like, "Well, the Empire's in town now. Like, I'm in the Empire. Great, you know, I drive a truck for the Empire." And he just is totally oblivious to any of the bad things that the Empire is doing because they're totally outside of his purview of his. More, more than that, he's also like, "Oh yeah, the Empire's great. Like, they really yeah. have, like clean things up." <laughs> yeah, they, and, like, they made all the problem. all the trucks Long run order. on time. You know, yeah. but what what I'm sort of suggesting here is like. When when Obi-Wan Kenobi is confronting Darth Vader, like just leaving him there is not like a solution to anybody's problems. Right. Right. Yes. It's, thank you. It's this, this is not like Karate Kid Part Two, where like, again, as, as we were talking in our preparation, like, yes, the general oeuvre and life's work of Mahatma Gandhi and Karate Kid Part Two are like two very canonical texts mm. about nonviolence in society. But the idea being that, like, in Karate Kid Part Two, Daniel LaRusso, the the eponymous karate kid goes to okinawa and encounters he's from a dignity culture and he encounters an honor culture there's a lot of culture clash uh he doesn't understand the sort of conflicts that he gets involved in he's used as an outsider because he's an outsider and he has a lot of presumption about how people should be nice to him versus how he should behave and there's a lot of clash and problems but over the course of the movie he shows genuine service and assistance and kind of humbles himself and puts himself at risk to help the people that he's with. He shows like a real willingness to understand and value their culture and to participate in their cultural ritual. And he like gradually wins people over, right? Until he becomes somebody the community kind of embraces at least a little bit, right? Like this is a guy that like the people of Okinawa have kind of come around on. Oh, especially when he saved that little girl during the typhoon, right? And like Sato, the villain of Karate Kid Part Two, and his is like is like the rich guy on the edge of town, right? Or whatever. Like he's not like he doesn't represent the majority of anything. He's just this one guy and his family. They're pretty strong. They're good at karate and they're relatively well off. But like they don't represent like everybody. And the main reason that in the conflict between Miyagi and Sato that like Sato is generally favored by people is that Miyagi is even more of an outsider than like any of Sato's people are. But once like the community like Miyagi kind of, you know, kind of he mends some fences, gets along with people. I mean, that's what he does. He mends fences and gets along with more people, but particularly Daniel's son kind of in, in you know, endears himself to the community a little bit. And you're at the point where Sato's disciple is like fighting Daniel's son in the middle of this party for no reason, just really pissed off. And he just decides to attack this guy in the middle of his party and attack this girl and like try to kill her with a knife. Right. And so like, you yeah, have a karate fight. And this is all to the point where you get to the end of the karate fight. And Daniel LaRusso is in the position of finishing this guy off by like, driving his nose bridge into his brain and killing him with his bare hand, which I don't think anybody really believes he could really do. But let's suggest that this is something he could really do. And the guy is like asking him to kill him, right? Kill me, like live or die, man, live or die. And he goes, die, I want to die with honor, right? Like, And then Daniel Russo like goes wrong and tweaks his nose and, let, nose and lets him drop, right? And like, this is a really positive message. Sorry, spoilers for Karate Kid Part Two if you haven't watched in the past 40 years. Um, and this was a very positive message because it's like you don't have to continue these cycles of violence. You can break from the cycle of violence. You can refuse to carry out that like last act of coercive violence. You can demonstrate your position. And if you have this like sufficient position of like strength from the community, which should be trusted to have decent judgment about who the good people are, right, that like – have faith in the community, you know, work with the community, engage with the community, community engages with you. Let's all be nice people together. Let's support the people who are doing the right thing. You don't have to kill the bad guy. You can just kind of humiliate him and kick him to the curb and he won't be a problem anymore. Right. Um, and like Darth Vader is not that guy. That's really what I'm coming around on here. Right. Darth Vader is not like a British agent in India. He is not a, a like a, he is not Sato's son uh, disrupting the festival with everybody in the community playing the drum, hoping that Darth Vader loses. Right. Like Darth Vader is a really powerful, dangerous threat to a very small number of people, most of whom operate on the fringes of society and nobody is aware they exist. And like, therefore, merely representing and performing an act of superiority 
over Darth Vader, like does not solve him as a problem for you. Right? Like he's like, you can't just be like, hey, look, everybody, I beat Darth Vader. And they're like, hey, yeah, you're right. That guy's on the outs. We'll vote him out of office right away. Right. Like, no, that's not how this works. That's how any of this works. Darth Vader is like the right hand man for the most powerful guy. I mean, he's not at this point. At this point, he's like a little not not few notches down on the on the old totem pole. But like he's like a, a, a super powerful, influential public figure that is like has a very clear mandate from a government that is like largely supported by pretty much everybody. Mm. Like, like at least in this story, like in, in the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, the way that it is portrayed, the empire is everywhere. And like the people who hate the empire are a pretty small group of people who have mostly been radicalized by having very negative experiences with regards to like force sensitive family members. Um, and so like just the idea that Obi-Wan Kenobi like satisfies himself by proving to Anakin that he is still good enough with the force that Anakin cannot murder him at will. Like this does not solve any of his problems or any of anybody else's problems. And it's just a very unsatisfying ending uh, to when he walks away because he's not in the position of strength. He's not, he's like this one guy, you know, like Mace Windu ain't coming over that hill to help you out, buddy. Right. Like as much as we all theorize that he might, right. Like, you know, there's no, there's no cavalry coming for you. Like the X-Wings, you know, they might come in the Mandalorian, but they're not coming now, um, you know. And uh, and so if you just leave him there, just like humiliated, I, I just don't get it. I don't I don't get what they thought. I mean, that's not that I don't get it. I get what they were doing. They were prioritizing the relationship over the politics of this imaginary world where nothing is real and none of this is really happening. Right. Like it's like this is a story about their relationship. Obi-Wan Kenobi would not kill him. That's fair. Right. But like they didn't show him conflicted about it. They didn't like go through the implications of that. Um, but like, they, yeah, they're trying to do too many things at once. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah they yeah. wanted to show that Obi-Wan had dominance over Vader. Um, they wanted to justify show how Obi-Wan justified lying to or, or framing uh, uh, Luke's parentage. Um, mm-hmm. to Luke in that particular way in episode four, which turned out in effect was a lie. And they want, and also then leads um, Obi-Wan in episodes five and six, basically saying that you got to go kill Darth Vader. Yo, Luke, you got to go kill Darth Vader because yeah. that's, um, because that's not your father. That's evil Darth Vader yeah. in there. <clears throat> and, um, you know, they also wanted to do that whole like pacifism thing. Like you just described there as well. These are all like kind of mutually, uh, mutually incompatible uh, objectives. <laughs> yeah. And I should <laughs> that, that, say like, that, it's possible to circle that square. The people in the Tatooine do say, this is the outer rim. You have no authority here, but it's just, it feels very different from when Gideon goes to Tatooine and the Mandalorian, like after Luke Skywalker's blown up the Death Star, it's like a very different vibe. Uh, and most of Obi-Wan Kenobi doesn't take place in Tatooine. So uh, it takes place in the places that are not the outer rim. And in fact, they go to the very heart of Imperial power, Right. Um, well, at least of Darth Vader's power. But, yeah, it's like it's it's uh, it's just baffling to even think about. Right. It's like you 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 get to that point in the story and that confrontation was so cool and the battle was so cool and like the way that he cut his face was so cool. And then it's just over. Yeah. And, and it's like I have so much expectation built up around what's supposed to happen. Um, and again, it's not real. I know I shouldn't care. Um but it's a story, right? And and uh, yeah, who says who says you shouldn't care? That 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 seems like the opposite of our motto here at the, yeah. <laughs> on the Overthinking a Podcast. I would just say, like, if this were an MCU thing, there would have to be some some more reckoning with the idea of sparing Darth Vader's life, right? Like there there would have to be because you know there would be a standard that you were trying to uphold <laughs> instead of the like desperately trying to keep your head right. above water. Uh, but, um, eh, that's not fair to say it's, it's not, it's not, that's not the point. The point, the point is just that like, when you're doing like these things that take place at different times in the star Wars timeline in different situations, uh, I feel like get fuzzy at times about which situation they're in and not in a way that I am pedantically opposed to primarily because I care about continuity, but rather because the different situations would seem to demand like different sorts of emotional reactions, you know, like, like, are you in a place where the emperor is still, is the emperor still alive? Question one, is the emperor alive? Uh, Question two, do people know the emperor is an evil wizard, right? Like, like do people, most of the people you're dealing with like the emperor, like in the world, right? Which like, I don't think they really turn on him until 
like Empire Strikes Back, you get the sense that the rebellion, the rebellion hasn't even started yet. You know, like the rebellion is like Bail Organa is still a senator, right? And is still sort of like, man, I really hate these meetings I have to go to. These people are real pains in the butt. But like, who cares about Bail Organa's problems, right? Like, and it's, but it's more like, yeah, one, do people like the emperor? Two, has the empire started destroying entire planets for no reason? <laughs> like that—that that is a big. You would think that that would affect the stakes of what's happening and like why people would care, right? Um, and then, and then what? Like, uh, well, I mean, there's a reason, you know. Give give, give them a little credit. They're, I mean, that's they're, true. They're it's, testing out their big laser gun. Yeah. <laughs> the reason is because he wants to fire all the senators and run the the galaxy through the regional governors because it's cheaper, right? We went over this when that article we wrote in 2009. We don't have to go through it again. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dumb reason. The Death Star is a dumb plan. They shouldn't have done it. But then again, I'm not saying the Empire is good. I'm just saying that like. That in this part of the story, the Empire is just the Republic with a different flag, right? Like it's not – and I think that 90 percent of the story embraces that, uh, right? But like 10 percent of it makes you want to think that we're in the middle of Star Wars. Um, the Star Wars hasn't even started yet, um, let alone the Mandalorian and whatnot. So oh, like, yeah. Well, no, there there has been a Star War at this yeah, point. Been, this, yeah, is, this is but post-Clone War. So post Clone War, yes, and these are the and then the Clone Wars. The the bad guys were a bunch of robots, right? Like like they weren't a bunch of Darth Vader's. And Anakin Skywalker is like one of the great heroes of the Clone Wars, mm. right? So like so so it's it's a confusing time. It's a confusing. Although it's been ten years. Oh, there's there you go. It was a time of confusion. <laughs> yes, we needed the big crawl at the beginning, which is like that it was is that, a time I'll, of political indifference. I'll definitely like. <laughs> You know, uh, in in the last episode, which I was not, but listened to, like you know, talked about the uh, uh, y'all talked about the um, the flashback at the beginning. You know, the the uh, what the three minute recap of the prequel t- trilogy, which Previously was on Star Wars, totally oh, that was so great, totally adequate, uh, such that you don't have to see the prequel trilogy anymore. You can just watch that, that thing. But uh, someone pointed out in the comments that Star Wars has a, uh, an idiomatic way of doing that, uh, which is the crawl. But I, I wonder if that's saved for the, I wonder if that's saved for the films, you know, and that, yeah. that like this doesn't, um, this doesn't yeah. rise to the level of yeah. getting, yeah. getting the crawl. Star Wars episode. Three point seven. Obi Wan Kenobi. Depression. It is a time of political indifference. Jedi Master Obi Wan Kenobi, having fallen into borderline homeless uh, poverty in the aftermath of the Clone Wars, reckons with his purpose in life as the galaxy goes on, seemingly, uh, uh, you know, seemingly not caring about the. dominance of its government by a mad evil wizard. Even Jawas are commenting on his bad odor. Yes, everyone uh, smells bad and is acting weird. <laughs> like, uh, uh, he, is, he is then, uh, he gets hooked up with a kindergarten cop situation. Like, is that... <laughs> oh, I was going to go dark. I was going to be yeah. like, you know, like, uh, the, the, I was going to be like, yeah, but yeah, episode 3.7, turning and turning in the widening gyre. The Falcon cannot hear the Falconer. Uh, and that, uh, you know, surely some revelation is at hand. Not revelation, revolution. <laughs> the rebellion. <laughs> It's going to go into, like, the moose by Elizabeth Bishop. Like, there's a bus, and a bunch of people on the bus see a moose. Deal with it. Um, but uh, I should be I should be able to quote that again. That was fun to be able That's a fun poem to be able to trot out. Um, oh, look at this moose. Uh, <laughs> check, out, check out this moose. I guess, like, it was a time of political indifference, and I, I, I normally go to the Second Coming, but you actually could go to The Fall of Rome by Auden, which I, mm. I commend to everybody, which is less of a greatest hit than, than The Second Coming. Um, with all its, you know, rough beast, its hour come round at last, slouching towards Bethlehem. But, uh, you know, the, the, the piers are pummeled by the waves. In a lonely field, the rain lashes an abandoned train. Outlaws fill the mountain caves. Okay. That's sounding pretty Star Warsy so far. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, fantastic grow the evening gowns. Agents of the Fisk pursue absconding tax defaulters through the sewers of provincial towns. 
Uh, that's, that's, that's not bad, Auden. You should have wish, wish, I wish WH Auden had been alive so that he could write for the Star Wars, uh, extended universe and the, the, you know, Disney franchise that, that they're going. We, we gotta, we gotta, uh, wrap this up. It's time to, we've gotten our six episodes of, uh, of, you know, TV show out of, uh, out of this. And so it's, it's time to, to bring this to the close. So what I'm going to do is leave the discussion right where it is and just walk away. <laughs> you don't, you don't have to do anything. You can just walk away. Why? Why can you just walk away? Why? Yeah, no, no, no. Cut his head off. You know? <laughs> like freaking a force. Do something with it with a force. I don't know. Bury him. Bury it on that sentence, man. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> You don't have to murder him. You got to do something. <laughs> oh, uh, call your ghost friend. Call your little Muppet guy. Get Frank Oz on the phone. Do something. <laughs> the Yoda phone. The Yoda phone. Yeah, get right the now. Yoda line. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's leave it there. Thanks very much for listening to us talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, very nice to uh, talk with you about it, Pete. And very nice to have you back, Mark, and talk with you about it. Uh, glad you're Glad you're feeling better. We uh, are overthinking it and we'll be back next week. Until then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we had articles, many of them about Star Wars, many of them about, you know, about cool things. We used to, we used to publish an article every weekday. Do you remember that? It sounds exhausting. Now, <laughs> like was, many, yes. yeah, there were like 5,000 word treatises on, on, uh, on this, that, or the other. Like this is, uh, yeah, guys, remember, remember what we used to do? I'm sorry. I'm grizzled. I'm, I, I'm going to, re- sorry. I'm going to just return to my day job as a sashimi miner now. Uh, <laughs> But uh, you know what we Should did? Have put the previously on overthinking it at the beginning of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> previously on overthinking it, a thriving blog. Uh, it is a time of blogging, and you know what we did when we blogged? We subjected the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it prob- probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. Hello there. I mean, goodbye there. Now it's all right now, even to fall asleep, just as on all those nights. Suddenly, the space ferry driver stops with a jolt, turns off his lights. Darth Vader has come out of the impenetrable wood and stands there, looms rather, in the middle of the road. He approaches, he sniffs at the transport's hot hood, towering, antlerless, high as a church, homely as a house, or safe as houses. A man's voice assures us, perfectly harmless. Some of the passengers exclaim in whispers, childishly, softly, sure is a big creature. It's awfully plain. Look, it's Anakin. Taking his time, he looks the bus over, grand, otherworldly. Why? Why do we feel, we all feel, this sweet sensation of joy? Curious creatures, says our quiet driver, rolling his R's. Curious creatures. <laughs> Look at that, would you? Then he shifts gears for a moment longer. By craning backward, Darth Vader can be seen on the moonlit macadam. And there's a dim smell of Darth Vader and an acrid smell of plasma afterburners. Of Womp Rat. Yeah, of Womp Rat there it is.